0: Hi, this is Danielle from The Gels Curator, and this is episode 157 of Art for Your Ear. This week's episode is supported once again by the fabulous women at Thrive. Thrive is an artist group that I joined about three years ago to help keep me accountable. And I'm happy to report it worked. (laughs) Here are the ins and outs. Thrive supports female, genderqueer, and gender non-binary visual artists by providing the community, and as I mentioned, the accountability that will help them achieve their goals. Members sign up for the Mastermind program for a year and meet monthly online with a small group of other artists to talk about what they are working on, what their selling goals are, self-doubt, and everything in between. Thrive's motto is, make art, meet your people, and do the work. Check out thriveartstudio.com to learn more, and follow them on Instagram at thriveartstudio. Okay, I am super excited for this episode, and I'm just going to jump right in. So, hey, here's something I was thinking about. (laughs) Joy. Okay, that's pretty broad, isn't it? Um, As I mentioned in a previous episode, I like to watch for patterns and messages from the universe. And in the past week, the word joy has come up at least five or six times. So clearly, there's something in the air. I want to start way back at the beginning. As little kids, we found joy everywhere. There was pure, heart-racing joy in getting pushed really, really high on the swings. Jumping in a pile of leaves that was higher than you were tall was exhilarating, and even better, being given an ice cream cone covered in rainbow sprinkles was the best. For our kids, which I'm sure all of you were, we found joy in making stuff, of course, But joy was even alive and well in the supplies that we were about to make stuff with. Piles of fluffy pom-poms, sparkly beads, a rock that we found on the way home from school that kind of looked like a penguin. Joy, joy, and even more joy. I can remember vividly digging through my mom's sewing drawer. I actually used to pull it right out all the way and put it on the floor for better access. There were all sorts of ribbons, patches and appliques, one of those little pin cushions that looked like a tomato, and a tiny jam jar with a gingham fabric lid filled with zillions of buttons. I pretended they were candies. I didn't eat them though, don't worry. Ooh, and she even had two little wooden apple buttons that were painted red. Those ones were my favorites. I never made anything with them. I just really liked the ritual of taking them out of that tiny jar for a closer look. I also got that same kind of joy by poking around um, stuff that wasn't even technically meant for making art. My grandmother loved costume jewelry. She actually worked as a quick change dresser at the Ottawa Art Center way back in the day, and her jewelry box was filled to the brim with magical things. Even just sitting here right now, I can smell that jewelry box. It was sort of a dreamy, powdery combination of lipstick and perfume, both of which she kept in a narrow, velvet-lined drawer that slid out of the bottom of this treasure box. I should also mention that before she was a dresser at the art center, she was an Avon lady, (laughs) hence the perfumey lipsticks. Anyway, up until um, she passed away when I was 25, every time I visited her, I asked if I could go up and look through that jewelry box. There were brooches and earrings, bangles, bits of jewelry that had probably gotten broken or the other part of it was lost, rings, and a little pearl pendant that was in a golden cage. There was something in all of those objects that just made me so, so happy. Even though I would not dare turn her precious fake jewels into art supplies, the colors, textures, and general fabulousness of all of it got my creative fires burning every single time. I made so much stuff when I was a kid. I painted, sewed, wrote little stories, made books out of them, glued stuff onto other stuff, etc. etc. And I bet by saying that, you're all thinking about the stuff that you made right now, aren't you? Did you ever make those cherry blossom trees in school? You know where you'd cut out a bunch of pink tissue paper into squares, and then help with the help of some glue on the end of your pencil, your little construction paper tree was suddenly covered in crinkly spring blossoms. Oh my god, I love that one clearly. (laughs) What about those caterpillars made from old egg cartons with pipe cleaners for legs? Ah, good times. Back then we didn't care about how many likes that caterpillar was going to get on Instagram or if a gallery would want to show it. We just painted and glued with reckless abandon and it was so much fun. In the past few years that is the feeling I've been striving for in my studio. For years, there was no joy in art making for me, which is so sad considering what kind of a kid I was. I blame three things. One, a bad experience in art school. Those stories will surface in the later episode because there is no place for them in an episode about joy. (laughs) Two, getting older slash jaded. And three, the arrival of my inner critic. That asshole showed up at the end of art school and was glued to my hip for about 20 years. Anyway, after a ton of self-reflection, writing a bunch of books and talking to hundreds of you, he's sitting quietly in the corner now. Oh yeah, he's still there, but I just pushed past him to get to my studio table. Have you seen a picture of her, by the way? Yeah, my studio table is a her and her name is Broad Maud, and she is fabulous, but I digress. Through doing the unblocking projects that I recommend to all of you guys, I've managed to find the fun in making stuff again. Pom-poms on a piece headed to a white white wall gallery? Yes. (laughs) Funny titles, with the occasional curse word, engraved onto fancy brass plates? You bet. Once I embraced humor in my work, absolutely everything changed for me. The joy came flooding back in, and I could literally feel a weight being lifted off of me. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this in a past episode, maybe the one with Ashley Longshore, I'm not sure, but when I was in art school, I always tried to bring humor into my work because I'm hilarious, but you guys already know that. Well, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but one of my profs said at one point, it's bad enough that you're a woman, but if you try to do humor-based work too, you'll really never be taken seriously. Yeah. And if you're wondering, yes, this was the same prof who told me I should, quote, never paint again five weeks before graduating as a painting major. Anywho, back to the joy. A few years ago, I was interviewing Wayne White on the podcast, one of my all-time favorite artists. And a huge part of that is because um, of his humor-based work. I asked him how he felt about the art world not taking him seriously when he first showed up with his funny swear word failed paintings fyi they take him very seriously now and he said and I quote well I just say fuck it (laughs) ah in that exact moment well no actually first I laughed really hard but right after that I thought yeah fuck it a few days later I started my new body of work made myself laugh out loud in the studio a whole bunch of times and have not looked back since joy ah it feels good to have you back in the studio so I'd been searching for joy for almost two decades after finishing art school without really realizing that that's what I was looking for. And when I was searching for joy-related info while putting this episode together, I found a fantastic TED Talk by a woman named Ingrid Fattel-Lee. I won't go into all the ins and outs of this talk because you should just go watch it. There's a link to it in my post over at thegelscurator.com. But the general gist is that she wanted to know what joy really was, and where it lived. At one point in the talk, she refers to herself as the Nancy Drew of joy, which I could not love more. (laughs) As artists, you're going to totally get this. Ingrid says, quote, Joy begins with the senses, the aesthetics of joy, the sensations of joy. Jewelry boxes and pom-poms, am I right? Mm Mm-hmm. She also said a phrase that I could not write down fast enough. She mentioned, moments of joy hidden in plain sight. How beautiful and poetic is that? Moments of joy hidden in plain sight. It's exactly what so many unblocking projects are about. Paying attention and noticing the joy-filled things that are around us all the time, but that we miss because we're just too busy being busy. Like I said, go watch this yourself at some point. It's about 20 minutes long, I think but I want to read this quote from the transcript because it's exactly what I've been thinking about. Ready? We all start out joyful, but as we get older, being colorful or exuberant opens us up to judgment. Adults who exhibit genuine joy are often dismissed as childish, too feminine, unserious, or self-indulgent. And so we hold ourselves back from joy and we end up in a world that looks like this. And then she goes on to show slides filled with beige hospital rooms, gray cubicles, and sterile looking high school hallways. It's so true, isn't it? We spend so much time in places that are not at all filled with joy. But as artists, we get to live in it whenever we want. Give yourself that permission to be silly and childish and unserious. Pull out those jars of buttons and costume jewelry and look for rocks that kind of look like penguins. Remember what it was like to be a kid just gluing stuff to other stuff because it was fun. Find the joy and hold on to it. You know who is an expert on joy? Yes, my co-host today. He seems to find it everywhere he goes, from his studio table to Sesame Street, where the air is sweet. Andy Miller, a.k.a. Andy J Pizza, and I have teamed up for this episode, and we have got a brand new segment for you called... Creative Mythbusters with Danielle Crissa and Andy J. Pizza. <laughs> I love it so much, and I hope that you do too. We're taking on two big creative myths today, but if you have any that you want us to tackle in a future episode, just email me and I'll add it to the list. You can reach me at contact at thejealouscurator.com. That's contact at thejealouscurator, all one word.com. All right, let's talk to Dr. Pizza that's actually one of the titles on his email sign-off. See? Joy. (laughs) Okay, brace yourself for a vulnerability hangover, um, imaginary sound effects, and more analogies than you could ever imagine. Here we go. Hello, Dr. Pizza. Hello. (laughs) Are you still, do you still have your doctor title? I don't know. I, don't, oh. I never really had it.
1: I don't, <laughs> I honestly don't know where that came from. And I feel like one day I'm going to get sued because I'm, I'm definitely not a doctor.
0: Well, you know, I believe that you are, and I, I'm going to trust you. your, um, your intelligent doctor, like, um, advice today. I am very <laughs> pumped that you're here again. You know, I look, I just we- looked it up. We talked in December of 2017. Man. I thought it
1: was a year ago. I know. That's crazy.
0: So that's why I looked it up because I thought, you know what? I actually think it's probably a really long time ago. I am very excited to have you as one of my expert co-hosts. And I am very pumped for our segment that you came up with. Uh, yeah,
1: I'm super pumped. I am a little bit nervous by being called, being called an expert, but I'm gonna try to
0: deliver on that. <laughs> well, you're already a doctor, doctor what? expert, and we can play one on the internet. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> and we're gonna our segment with you is gonna be called Creative Mythbusters. Yes, I'm very I'm excited very
1: passionate about this.
0: Yes, but before we do that, yeah, since it has been two years. Let's talk about all the things you've been doing. I have a little list here, sure, because it's kind of crazy all the things. So I'm just gonna throw them all out, and then let's talk about whatever you want. First of all, and
1: then I'll just say whether any of them are true. Or yeah, not. I'll yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: no, that was Photoshop. Photoshop that. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Sesame Street.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got to go to Sesame Street. That's Cookie to Town. The there.
0: Okay, yeah, we're SMA. coming. We're coming back to that. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're coming back to that for (laughs) sure. Um, Creative pep talk turned five. Yeah. Huge. Huge. Um, And then what's happening right now? I just saw on your Instagram color factory in Houston with five foot markers. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause that's happening right now, right?
1: Yeah, that we just did that. So color, uh, we have a show, me and my buddy, Andrew Nyer. He's a product designer and an illustrator and designer. And we've, uh, we have this kind of just like a side band, if you will. Like, uh, we, we created this show called Color Me. We've been doing it since, uh, I think, 2011, um, and just kind of have, have iterated and developed this c- collaborative style of drawing. We do these giant murals, and uh, he had designed these products that are just essentially five foot giant markers that people come and color the mural in with. So and awesome. uh, yeah, it's a it's an absolute treat to be a part of it, and I've I've loved every every minute of it.
0: So, is it is it on right now?
1: Yeah, it's on right now. So, Color Factory, uh, they started in San Francisco, and they did one in New York, and now they just opened their Houston one. Um, and yeah, we're one of the rooms in there. We were one of the rooms in the original Color Factory, and they brought us back. By popular demand, wow. we're told. Um, but uh, but yeah, we we went down there a few weeks ago, drew all over the walls, and it opened uh, at the end of October. I think it's going to be open for a year, so you oh, can go okay. get the tickets.
0: Yeah, I was, and so um, people can just go down there and color with five foot markers whenever they want. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you go, you go sign up, you get tickets, and you, they work you through all the different rooms of Color Factory. There's all these different ideas based on color. And one of the rooms, the blue room, is our room where you can go color uh, with five-foot markers.
0: That is so, so cool.
1: Yeah, it, yeah it's, a, it's really fun. And the whole, we got to see the behind the scenes of them putting together all the other rooms, and there's some incredible stuff in there.
0: Wow, in Houston. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to like purposely get myself there in the next year so that I can go. You've got to. I have to. Okay. Creative pep talk turning five.
1: Yeah, that was a big moment. I uh, I kind of couldn't believe it. I feel like I, it's one of those things where I feel uh, like I've always been doing it. And then I also feel like I just started it. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those kind of things. And yeah, it turned five. And I feel like that, you know, I was hoping to have an impact on people and the funny thing that I didn't expect is that it would have such a massive impact on me personally, not just my career, but the, the practice of showing up every week and trying to come up with an hour of stuff that you believe in, you know, that you'll sign your name to is actually, it was one of the most crystallizing creative endeavors uh, of my life to, to have to kind of search inside and say, what do I really believe? what am I willing to say and stand behind publicly? Mm-hmm. And it real the past five years of my life have been the most transformative in terms of uh, self uh, because of that project so that yeah, that's kind of what the five-year thing means to me.
0: Yeah I can completely see that because you really have to um, Think like you can't just have these yeah. ideas sort of floating around your head. You, you like you said, you have to crystallize them so that you can articulate them so that people actually understand what you're talking about. And it makes you really have to, yeah, think about it for more than five seconds.
1: And if you're going to be yourself in public, you have to, uh, to me, there was a thing that happened where a bunch of things that maybe I thought that I was or pretended to be my whole life eventually when it comes down to like, do I want thousands of people to, to, am I, am I willing to stand by those things? And there was so there's just a bunch of things that I thought, you know what, that's a bunch of BS that isn't true really. And I, you know, I'm going to leave that behind, or these are the things that really are who I really am. And I'm going to lean heavier into those and, and own that stuff. And it just, it was, I always think of like art and in any art project as both uh, self-expression, but also self-excavation. So Mm -hmm. you're, you're using art as a tool to get to the bottom of what's going on inside of you. And that's the thing that, yeah, I didn't expect creative pep talk to be that, but it it definitely was. Mm
0: -hmm. And do you feel, um, because you, you really are hard on sleeve and you, that's why people love you so much is that you just really put it all out there. Do you ever (sighs) feel, I have this sometimes now, now with this new this new format where I'm Mm -hmm. sort of talking at the beginning about things that I'm thinking about super vulnerable. Yeah. (laughs) And every now and then after I've recorded it, I have this like podcast remorse where I'm like, Oh, did I (laughs) overshare?
1: Yeah. Brené Brown calls it the vulnerability hangover.
0: Yeah. I have, yeah. <laughs> what do you take for that? What's the, what's the hair of the dog for that one? Because yeah, yeah. I feel I like know. it every time, but maybe it's,
1: it's just drinking.
0: Know, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Okay. We'll wrap the episode right there. There's Andy's <laughs> advice. everyone. Just
1: drink more.
0: That's Yeah. Cause I find that now, I mean, again, this, this new format is new. And yeah. so um, I'm only, you know, four or five episodes in and I, I'm, proud of what I'm saying, because exactly what you said, I have to really think about what I want to say. Um, but yeah, it is a major vulnerable, you know, moment.
1: Yeah, it is. And I, I, I think, uh, I think that I had a lot more of that after the, uh, like the first, about a, maybe two years into the process when the listenership picked up, that's when I had, I was actually doing an episode on anxiety and i was probably having the biggest anxiety attack that i'd ever had doing it <laughs> it was like super meta and i but i was panicking because i i was going through that kind of vulnerability thing and thinking oh man now there's all these people listening to this and do i believe all the stuff that i'm saying like what like you know when it when it's just you putting it out into the ether and you know just your mom's listening to yeah. it you're like <laughs> it's not you don't feel all that pressure but so i think that That was a moment of kind of like a crucible moment where that's what made it, that's what made it such a powerful tool for me is because in that moment I started to decide I'm only going to say stuff on here that are hills that I'll die on or that I'm, or I'll make it clear like, oh, this is a, this is a concept that I'm just throwing around. Like I just, you know what I mean? So I, I think I was definitely the first couple years I had a lot of that vulnerability hangover, but I feel that on the other side of it, there is a, that crystallization that where I don't get that that much. Cause right. I, I, you know, I'm sure I still have it from time to time, but more often than not, I feel like either I'm creating concepts in real time and it's, I'm not talking about facts. I'm talking about, here's some cool ideas to think about, or I'm talking about things that I will go to the grave with mm-hmm. and I don't care if anybody doesn't like it. So yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Um, and I'm glad that I'm not alone in that. I got to go read that, that, um, little more detail from Brené there because, (laughs) (laughs) um, okay. So on creative pep talk, you've had some amazing guests, but, um, I, I did fan girl out a little bit when I saw, um, that Joseph Gordon-Levitt was on there. How on earth did that happen?
1: Yeah, that's a good, good question. (laughs) I, I was fanboying out in the moment, like a, like an idiot, but I, uh, so, and you
0: were actually with him. I saw the photo yeah, you guys
1: together. Yeah. It wasn't we like on Skype. Yeah, you know, I feel like if if Joe, as they call him at Hit Record, if Joe says yes to it, then you gotta pack up and go. Yeah. So we you know, I brought my audio guy and we you know, we did the whole thing and they filmed it, it was really cool. But they uh, so I've been a fan of him since his early indie films like Brick and Manic and Uh, I got, I was just so into that stuff that he was doing. And then I followed him starting this creative company called hit record. And I knew about it from early, early days. And then maybe at the beginning of this year, hit record, followed me on Instagram and Twitter. And I was like, Whoa, what's going on there? Uh, and so I just sent them a, uh, you know, a desperate DM that was like, Hey, I would, I'd love to work with you guys. You know, I'd love to do a project with you. And so we started, me and my manager, uh, started talking with them about what it would look like to do a collaborative episode of the podcast. And we just started working through everything. And as we were getting into it, you know, Joe's name started getting thrown around as being aware of this project that we were doing and, and kind of, you know, excited about it. And I, and so at some point we had to, you know, (laughs) go for it and be like, Joe wouldn't want to be on the show, would he? Like, and they're like, yeah, we'll talk to him. And we're like, what? Okay. Uh, so they pitched it to him and they'd shown him an episode of the show before that he'd liked. And, uh, yeah, he went for it. So we, we, uh, tried to bring our A game and it was, it was an incredible experience. And he was, you know, I'm sure a lot of Hollywood people that you know, you meet or whatever, P- people are always like, oh, he's so nice. But he was genuinely so down to earth, so ready to play ball. Yeah, And he, re- he brought his A game. He, he was like self-reflective.
0: I like really interesting guy. And I just, when yeah. I saw that combo of you two, I was like, okay, there we go. Yeah. It was amazing. That's so great. Um, okay. So, and then also Sesame street. Sesame street.
1: Yeah. So, uh, this is, yeah, this one is, I was probably, there's a video of me meeting Ernie yes. uh, behind the scenes. And I would say, you, <laughs> I look like a five-year-old kid. That's how much joy is beaming from my face. And I was probably more fanboying out. Even I mean, <laughs> Joe's huge, but Ernie is a whole other level. I was jo- Joe and Joe out. would
0: agree with you there, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he'd give you that one. I
1: think maybe. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and so he, uh, yeah, so I, I went to go talk to a creative team um there's a the the like the design uh creative side of the sesame street brand uh brought me out to to kind of pep talk their team cool. and it just so happened did it got in did they reach out to you
0: or did you yeah. reach out, oh my god i love it yeah okay. so she
1: uh um they they reached out and they had they were fans of the podcast. And it's Teresa Fitzgerald. She's the head of that creative team. Um, and she is a fan of the show and she kind of, they were going through a bunch of transitions and she just felt like they needed to get their spirits lifted. So, mm-hmm. um, she, she asked me to come give their little team a talk and I give them a pep talk. So I went and did my talk and did a little workshop thing. And then they took me to the, they took me to Sesame street. Oh, and I got oh. to go behind the scenes and go see all the puppets and I got to watch them film some. And it was, it was, I honestly, <laughs> when I got on Sesame street, I was like, I think this is my real home. Yeah. This is okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that was incredible. I, anybody that knows me knows that, um, Jim Henson is my biggest creative hero. And, uh, it was a magical moment that I never saw coming.
0: I, I think I would cry walking onto Sesame Street. I, I mean, I,
1: I, oh, I mean, all of us
0: grew 15. up watching it, but like, yeah. you know, especially as a creative kid, yeah. I just watched. You know, you watched it with through a different lens almost because I even remember watching like the animations, you know, and um, like yeah. the Ladybugs Picnic and all that stuff, and I would look at. Not only like, ooh, fun, but like the way that they drew the stuff and all of that. I just, I loved it all. And I think walking onto Sesame Street, I would burst into tears.
1: It was overwhelming. Yeah. If you, like, I I was kidding, but if you watch the videos of me, you can see I'm like an emotional mess, (laughs) like really (laughs) feeling that, that moment. It it was incredible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It gives me chills. So where would you live? Would you live in um, Bert and Ernie's apartment or like in, in Big Bird's nest? Where would you go?
1: I, big bird's nest. I got to sit in big bird's nest. It was, uh, it was, yeah, it was amazing. Or maybe the trash cans. I think (laughs) Oscar, I need, I'm not a grouch, but I feel like I'm good next to a grouch. Like my, my older brother's kind of a grouch. Yeah, Uh, I feel like I gravitate towards them. I like to annoy them and, and try to cheer them up and they get grouchier and I get happier. I don't know. Some kind of weird symbiotic thing with grouches. Um, (laughs) So maybe I'd be in the trash cans. but
0: Did they ever – is this my imagination or was this real? In Oscar's can,
1: uh-huh. did they
0: ever go down into it?
1: Yeah. I, I don't remember if I, – I don't know if this is canon, but I believe that that's – they did a movie about Oscar – and I almost feel like it's a portal to another, like, the Grouch universe.
0: Yeah, yeah. Cause I, I think I, that's true. I, I can't remember really if I'm just imagining what I thought, like, his apartment was like down there with his yes. worm. What was his yes. worm's name?
1: Stinky? Annette's... Uh, uh, uh... Man, I wasn't Slimy. expecting a sesquic
0: Yeah, yes. Slimy. Yeah. I, yeah, I totally pictured this whole thing, but I always wanted to go <laughs> in Big Bird's nest because when Big Bird would get the blanket and get all cozy in there, mm. I was just like, I, I could have a nap right there. Yeah,
1: so good. You know that, uh, so Big Bird and, uh, and Oscar were added last minute. It was Jim Henson's idea because they added Oscar to be, so that it wasn't too uh you know sappy yeah, and too, too happy too yeah. yeah it's like let's we need to have an edge to it and they added big bird to be the toddler's perspective in uh, the show oh my gosh. um which is pretty sweet i think those yeah, are
0: the biggest toddler ever yes um speaking of oscar did you see um snl the other week when they did um yeah. the joker <laughs> as oscar
1: yeah that, that's the thing if, if you're as uh, vocal about your fandom as i am so Anything that's uh, Henson, anything that's Zelda, anything that's Fraggle Rock—like I get like eighteen emails the second it goes onto the internet. So I got a ton of messages about that uh, that Oscar uh, Joker trailer thing. Um, it was ridiculous. It was
0: so good, so good.
1: I think Henson would have liked it. I, I, I've, I've been reading his biography, and I feel like uh, people really associated with him. Like with, I, I think they made him equivalent to Mister Rogers when that's not really who he was. Like he was a sweet guy, but he had a much more grown up sense of humor. Right. Um, and he was like, they had a, they had a, uh, before the Muppet show ever came on, they had a, uh, special on ABC called the Muppets, the Muppet show sex and violence. <laughs> and, and he like wouldn't, but they, they wanted to change the name and it was ironic cause it wasn't sex and violence, but but still, that was the name of it, and he thought that was super funny. And he was always trying to like make his stuff more adult, and getting pushed back because of Sesame Street was such a hit. But, um, but yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, it's also yeah. I loved all of that Muppet Show too. Like, and now when you if you watch it as a grown up, you're like, there's so many jokes because my family would watch it together, sure. and my parents were laughing at parts that I didn't get why they were laughing. <laughs>
1: Yes. There's there's tons of real jokes in it. Like there's lots of like writing in, in the Muppets. There's a lot of quips and stuff.
0: Um, okay. Now the thing I was wondering, do you have any new books coming out? You always seem to have something new coming out. Yeah, I do. What,
1: what I have coming out next is I have been working really hard on this, Skillshare class I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this yet but I'm gonna do it anyway just ask for (laughs) forgiveness instead of permission that's kind of my rule Um, but uh, yeah we have a, a new Skillshare class coming out it's on my concept of side quests creative side quests and uh which is a whole giant topic in itself but it's about orchestrating your big break so instead of waiting for your big break how do you strategically orchestrate big breaks consistently because you need several of them throughout your uh, career trajectory and uh it's kind of an extension of a side quest series i did on the podcast and then i also um did uh a, a kickstarted book on a similar topic and it's kind of an evolution of that it's my favorite evolution of it to date and um, so I'm super stoked about that. We're launching it in November and then I'm working on some kids books and, uh, some other big juicy secret stuff that I'm not allowed to talk about. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. The, uh, well, good thing yeah, I'm ha-
0: the- going to have you on every two months because then you can <laughs> <Yeah>. like slowly <laughs> tell us stuff.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a few things. It's really painful sometimes. Like, Some of the stuff that you got to keep under wraps, but I've I've got a few projects. And and the other thing is, it's painful because some of these big, juicy things, you're working on them and they just, you know, die on the operating table and they never see the light of day. Yeah, those Um, are the saddest. That's that's, lots of pain.
0: Yeah, that's (laughs) the saddest (laughs) part. I have learned now to not count the chickens until they've hatched because, you know, yeah. Good way. Yeah, I do hit refresh on my email a lot though.
1: Yeah. I'm in, I'm in some of those moments right now. I'm waiting to hear back on a few things and I'm like, please, please Same. email they emailed today. Please, I know I,
0: I emailed I, the the one big juicy thing I, I want really badly right now. Um, I keep re- yeah. refreshing and there's nothing happening. So finally <laughs> I messaged the woman the other Did day. Did you just
1: refresh it just now?
0: No. <laughs> oh, I thought that's.
1: A- <laughs> I'm <laughs> thought not on my computer. On I'm, no, I'm yeah. not
0: on my computer. If I was, right. I would be, but, um, <laughs> I messaged her and I said, So I'm breezy. Remember that episode of Friends.
1: Don't say you're breezy. I just laughed so hard that my headphones fell off.
0: <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs>
1: That's one of my favorite moments from Friends. Oh, yeah. I think we me and my wife say it all the time. Yeah. When we're not breezy at all.
0: And I'm very I'm rarely breezy. I'm very rarely breezy. So I messaged her and I'm like, I'm breezy, but I'm really That's not. <laughs> because uh... I couldn't handle it anymore. And I said, just let me know is there a final date when decisions are being made so that I cannot hit refresh until then? So she wrote back and said, Oh, that's hilarious. And she said, you can hit refresh starting mid November. And I was like, Oh, well, thank you for saving me two weeks of pain. (laughs) So
1: yeah,
0: I will. I'll be breezy. Literally. Well, I'm going to try my best for two weeks. Anywho. Um, Okay. Andy J pizza. Let's let's bust some creative myths.
1: Yeah, I'm so pumped about this.
0: I love I, this idea. Yeah,
1: and I and I liked uh, I loved the one that you set up. Do you want to start there? Do you
0: want to start that one? Okay. So the the one I hear all the time, the creative myth I always hear is that you need to be making art full time to call yourself a professional artist. Mm. We need a buzzer sound.
1: We do. We need. Yeah, definitely need some kind of sound effect yeah. for this. Yeah, like
0: like or something. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah I didn't
1: even like you just saying it reading it felt wrong
0: to yeah, me. yeah yeah
1: um yeah so I wanted to I have I have a few ideas that I wrote down on this topic because I have a lot of thoughts on it but I wanted to oh. know what why did you pick this one
0: um I hear people say that all the time yeah. and I've noticed with the podcast like you know even I will interview people who I assume all they do is just paint all day and make millions of dollars. Mm. And then you talk to them and it's like, Oh no, they work at an animation studio or they work at a bar at night um, yeah. or, you know, all these things. And it's like, but they're still legit, full-time, amazing artists who are showing and selling and whatever, but yeah, you can still, like, it might not make, you know, you might not pay all your bills. Yes. So, but it still doesn't, it still means you're an artist. And I just yeah. thought I hear it repeatedly. And I thought, I bet you do too. So I thought, well, let's Absolutely. just bust that one for everybody. Cause it, it drives me crazy when people don't, I'm getting all mad when people. Good.
1: That's exactly <laughs> why I picked this idea <laughs> is because the myths, they're the things that get my fire. I'm like on fire about some of these ideas. And when you, I feel like there's something I've talked about this on my show. Like I, I worked at a youth shelter early on in my, uh, uh adult life yeah. and they talked about, like uh anger is always a secondary emotion. It's not a primary emotion. I right. it mean it's it's the steam coming out of the teapot, but it's not what it's bubbling down. So like if it's coming out as anger, it just means it's a really intense feeling. And so I like these myths because they almost always get they get me riled up. So i Yeah,
0: they it. get the water boiling and maybe we need a tea kettle sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it just makes me mad because I feel like people don't give themselves credit for the success they've reached because they're like, yeah, but I still have to work at a coffee shop or yeah, but I still, you know, have the day job or whatever. And it's like, no, there's no still, but you're doing it. And so are these amazing people that you idolize that maybe you don't realize they also have another job, but lots of, lots of them do.
1: Yeah. I thought, you know, I think, uh, I wanted to preface this with, you know, these myths, any of these, lies that get in your head, they, they become the agent of self-sabotage. So there's a bunch of, that's kind of why I want to, you know, bust these things is because I feel like, you know, even for instance, I'm reading that Jim Henson biography and almost every single chapter, there's this same thing that he's wrestling with, which is he wants to be seen as more than a children's performer and they're and I think if you're reading that, you're like, who the hell told you that being a children's performer was somehow not worthy? <laughs> like you spend so much of your time so discontent, so pushing against these huge uh, blessings you're bestowing on the world, these en- enormous creative feats because you're working against this thing that's saying you're somehow less than than other performers because it's for children. And, and so I, I wonder if someone are, said
0: that to him,
1: I may be, yes, but they, it was a ongoing theme hmm. that he was pushing up against. And, and, and to me, I don't, you know, I don't know, there's no way to know if, you know, uh, if someone's happy and, and satisfied and whatever in their heart. But to me, I just wish that if I was around him, I would just stop and be like, like, you're doing the, some of the most incredible, powerful work in uh, you know the modern age. Like, enjoy it. Quit letting this myth ruin, steal your joy. Yeah. And that's um, or distract you because a lot of times I feel like those those things become these uh, you know side roads that lead to dead ends and derail what we're doing. I think you see it with musicians all the time, and you know they'll get some someone will say some comment. That just becomes this worm in their brain that eats away at them until they make this album that's totally out of character and it, they're not happy about it. They're not, bummed. you know what I mean? Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah like, totally. You gotta find, you gotta like uh, detect these things. And I think this one in particular was a big uh, distraction for me for a long time until I was working. I went on a period of time where all I was doing was illustration nine, not nine to five. I was doing illustration from, you know, sometimes four or five in the morning to when I was going to bed and sometimes weekends, this was like 2014, 2015. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, there's almost nothing more poisonous to your creative passion than doing it nonstop. (laughs) Like it, so that was my big breakthrough is not only does it not matter if you're doing this full time, but doing it solely full time might be the worst thing for its growth and health
0: yeah that um, is so true
1: because i've met these you know i we have these fantasies of oh if i could just paint 9 to 5 if i could just play music for you know every hour like what like no if you do that you will burn out you'll learn to hate that thing and if you put that much pressure that much financial pressure and that much creative pressure on this one outlet it will buckle under the pressure and you'll learn to hate the thing that you love and so i i feel like creating a more healthy ecosystem yeah. is a uh, it has been really powerful to me
0: yeah and you know those things feed into it like um one of the other expert co-hosts um, Terrence Terence Payne yeah. he he I mean, I'm sure he sells lots of work. I'm sure he could just make a living from his art, but he has been working at a bar for decades. And he Mm. said he'll never quit because he gets so much creative inspiration. First, he gets a break from the studio. Secondly, he said the people watching feeds into so much of his work. And he said, I can't imagine not doing that. Like, you know, and it supplements the income.
1: Yes. The way I think about it is uh, there's this business writer named Jim Collins and he wrote the book From Good to Great and one of the concepts that they learned uh, about companies that are great and sustain that greatness for long periods of time is this thing they call the flywheel and the flywheel is just this idea of like it's a series of actions that kind of double down on each other and they just kind of compounds with interest and creates this forward momentum that can't be stopped. And for me, uh, that's kind of happened with the podcast where I have this natural inclination to get bored with a creative outlet. So, you know, if I've been doing too much advertising illustration, then I wanna break into the kids book market. And so <laughs> that I get bored and I go into the kids book market and then I, le- I learn everything about breaking in. I learn everything about making good work in that field. And I get to this point where now I can teach other people how to do that. And so then I teach other people how to do that and I codify it and I teach it and I podcast about it. And then once I get finished through all that, I'm bored with that market again. Yeah. And now I'm <laughs> back to the top of the wheel and now I can break into a new market. And so, but it all feeds into all, everything I learn, uh, you know, or every, every, every experience, every creative experience I have uh, supplements my education. I can make, I can speak on other topics. Yeah. It's all, it's all one big creativity.
0: Yeah. It's all one big pizza. Let's use a pizza metaphor. Oh, Oh my God. Definitely a big pizza. (laughs) It's all a big pizza, but sometimes you want a little pepperoni. Sometimes you're up on the crust.
1: That's right, but it's you all a pizza. You're, you're damn right, it is. And I, uh, the other <laughs> thing I thought about is this idea of you know having a bar job. One of the things I've recommended to uh, people that I've worked with over the years is like, it, if you want to get into illustration or, or 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 journalism or writing or if you want to be an author, whatever it is, um, see your part time work as. Uh, research, totally. like if you want to do, if you want to be an illustrator, like you're going to have to, let's say you want to work for the New York times. Well, what are, what kind of stories do the New York times do? There's probably a lot of stories on agriculture. There's a lot of stories on the food service. There's a lot, you know, there's all these stories. What if you went into there, not as a, uh, food service industry employee, but went in there as a secret illustrator. Yes. Like you're, you're there to, you know what I mean? Like um, undercover. Yes, there's there's a guy who uh, the, the Free Economics did an episode of the of their podcast on Trader Joe's, and Trader Joe's is notorious for keeping their secrets close to the chest. So one of these authors that wanted to do a book about Trader Joe's just went and became an employee for a year. And like the, there's so many there's if you're creative about that outlet and you figure out how to create that ecosystem, uh, it can actually be much healthier than doing it full time. And I don't yeah. I don't think full-time is ever really the best goal for, for many.
0: No. And I think, I think it's just an old way of thinking, right? Like I think it's from our parents' generation and before where it's like you, you have a full-time job and that's what you identify yourself as. So if you're not doing art or music or writing 24 seven, then you're not, you can't say that's your job. Yeah. You know? And I, I think we just have, we have to bust that myth.
1: Uh, Taika Watiti, he did a Ted talk years ago and he talked about Rousseau. He's one of his favorite painters and how all the painters of that day would say that, uh, Rousseau didn't know how to paint. And he was like, that's ridiculous because, uh, knowing how to paint is so simple. It's like two steps, put paint on the brush and put it on something. That's how you paint. If you know how to do that, you know how to paint. Um, and I just think any other clarification on top of that, it just lies getting in your head distracting you leading to self-sabotage. And yeah, I say busted.
0: Yeah. Okay. I am going to load this up with sound effects in post and it's going to be great.
1: (laughs) I'm a big fan.
0: Okay. okay. Do you want to move on to our next myth? Yeah. Okay. This one was yours. So you, you read this
1: one. Yeah. So uh, the second myth here is that you shouldn't listen to your audience. That you should never listen to your audience. And I, I did you know what I was referring to by that? Have yes. You, you're kind of familiar with this.
0: Um, well, I know what you mean. what, what is yeah. it, Is it from something? No. Just yeah. Just yeah. No. No. no I, I totally like know what you mean. Just this
1: idea that you know. Uh, you should, the artist should exclusively listen to their inner voice, take no cues from the audience. And I think that, um, although there, I think there's, I think often myths are kind of a perversion of a partial truth. Like Mm -hmm. I think there's something in this that is true, but I think it's really incomplete. Um, when I sent that to you, what did it, did anything spark on your end? Did you, did it, what's your
0: experience with this? Yeah. Well, I think, um, for me, I'm going to speak as an artist now. Sure. So for me, the um, artist, yes, sound effect, Kunk, hats on. Um, Lots of
1: sound effects.
0: I think, um, yeah, well, we're, we're told, you know, Oh, don't listen for, you know, you don't need feedback from anybody else. And you know, and sometimes yes. when the feedback is negative,
1: True. you
0: really, really don't want that feedback. Right. right. Um, yeah. and so it's, I think that's where the partial truth comes from because it's like you're guarding yourself, right? It's like, you don't, don't listen to your audience. Um, if they say bad stuff, it's going to derail you. If they say good stuff, it's just, you know, blowing sunshine up your ass and it's not going to help you. So neither of those things is good. Um, But I always think that in my book, I'll I'll plug my book Um, in my, um, your inner critic is a big jerk book. I talk about the fact that even with your inner critic or feedback from anywhere, you have to take it with a grain of salt. You have to put your gloves down for long enough because anytime you get any kind of negative feedback or any anything that doesn't jive with what you were thinking um you instantly get defensive right it's just a human thing it's just like you get your back up it's like but this is a thing I made and you want to defend it but if you can calm down and put your gloves down long enough to like really listen and translate it so that you understand what it is there's so much wisdom in that because um I had Samantha Fields on the other day and she's a a painter and a prof at CSUN in LA and she said and I thought this was brilliant that critique is our mirror and so if you show work or you do something and you get feedback that you aren't expecting um that means that maybe you're not communicating what you wanted to communicate properly. Like maybe there's a better way to communicate it. And by having that mirror and having that feedback, you need to listen to it because they're going to be telling you that you're not delivering it the way you thought. Even if they're saying good stuff, you'll be like, oh, geez, but that's not what I was going for. Um, It just helps clarify um, how you're being perceived.
1: That's exactly how I think about it. I think about you know, feedback is your uh, analytics to say did I meet did my intentions work out did yeah. it, did did what I was trying to do work or not? And I talk about um, that whenever I get because I talk about these ideas a lot about you know r- looking into your feedback and trying to improve based on what's working and what's not working. And I will brush up against this myth really often where people will be like you should you know only do it you know, what you want to do and don't listen to your audience and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, um, and I kind of, my answer is always about stand up comics and this idea of writing on stage. And so I think about it, like there, there's a separation or almost, almost like a seasonal approach. There's a time in the stand up comics process where they're listening to themselves and they're asking themselves with their own taste, what do they think is funny? And then what they do is they don't that process doesn't end with them creating a stand-up special. What they do is called writing on stage." So they mm-hmm. take that list of stuff that they think is funny and they go into the club and they test the material. And so what what that does, it doesn't mean that you know what they don't do is get up on stage and and take a poll and say, "Hey, audience, what do you think is funny? I'll do <laughs> jokes on that. They're not you know <laughs> what I mean? They're listening to themselves. Uh, but but they're not ending the process there. They're go- and, and that's why I think stand-up comics are masters, is because they test the material, they go into the arena, they get their ass kicked, uh, and then they come back for more, right? So yeah. they go and they say, which of these jokes are, did the audience laugh at? Now, some of those things, they might be like, you know what, maybe that's not funny. But some of those things, they might say, maybe my technique or my delivery was off. I'm gonna go take it back to the lab and try to work around it. Cause I do think there's something funny there and I just, it just didn't work yet.
0: Yeah. It didn't land. So, so just, you have to refine, refine, refine yes. and go try it again.
1: Absolutely. And so I, I think, uh, for me feedback that, that kind of, that world is the true arena of people that, that want to be masters at what they do. Mm-hmm. I think you can't, you can't see yourself. You can't see your blind spots. You can't, you can't look in the mirror without it. I I totally agree. I also Mm -hmm. think there's a, um, you know, Steve Jobs, it was kind of notorious for saying like, you know, they don't listen to their audience. They don't ask people what they say. I think he said, um, he said, ah, dang it. I I don't remember what it was, but it was about the iPhone. He said, if we would have asked them what they wanted, they would have said, uh, damn it. Why can't I remember that quote? (laughs) <laughs> Whatever, you get it. He I just said, you know, we, we're the people who tell them what they want. We tell them what they didn't know they wanted. Right. And I do think that's true. The whole purpose for you is you is you're, you have to lead with your taste. If you don't have any sense of what's funny, why are you up on stage? Yeah, that is true. That's a season of um, listening to yourself. But the truth is Apple most certainly does listen to their audience, and their audience votes in dollars. Yeah. So things that don't sell over time, they might iterate them, but eventually they kill them off. So there's is always a listening. There's always a listening that I think is required. Mm-hmm. I'm getting fiery now. I know. So Woo! I Kettle sound.
0: <laughs> um well, you know, and I think it's for visual artists, I think that's what's been really great about Instagram. Yeah. Me because too. you don't have to make a huge body of work that's going to go into a gallery and flop. Like that's yes. a really hard place to test things out right after you spent time and money and all this stuff and then it doesn't hit and you aren't sure why it's hard to go away and refine that and get another giant show but now with you know social media you can have an instagram um you know page for yourself and you can kind of see what resonates with people and again you're leading with your taste you're you're doing what you're making the art that you want to make but it's really nice to have people go you know to either see that they get it or don't or they think it's moving or not, or funny or not, or whatever it is that you're aiming for. It's a great little tool.
1: It's a great tool. And I I use Instagram exactly intentionally like a club for a comedian. I I use it that way. And I will go back in my analytics and I will, the way that I approach that is I don't just look at, first of all, I don't look at the most likes. I look more at the most comments because Mm -hmm. I think that shows a depth of, you know, that really hit someone where they had to remark upon it. Um, uh, and so I look at comments and then I say, you know, out of the ones that got the most comments of all the stuff I've been doing over the past six months, which of them also felt most authentic and resonated with my taste. So it's that it's not, you know, I'm not going to pay attention to the one-off thing that I did. That's didn't really feel like in my voice, but for some reason, you know, I posted at the right time for the algorithm and, you know, I, I, there's a bunch of stuff that I think you need to cut and you got to be smart about how you take in that feedback. But I, I have dramatically, I think increased the quality of my illustration by using Instagram in that way.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I have too. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, um, it's really nice and freeing and especially like, you know, I always say to people who are from small towns where, you know, again, it used to be if you wanted to be an artist or, or a stand-up comedian or whatever, you needed to be in New York and or Chicago yeah. or LA. You needed to be in these big centers where there were stages to go stand on or galleries to show in. And it's just really nice now that you can be anywhere. I'm in a teeny tiny town in Canada and yeah. I can talk to the world if I want to. And I can put that mirror out whenever I feel like it. And, um, you know, again um the putting of the gloves down because sometimes when it's not the feedback that you want, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's really easy to be like, yeah, don't listen to your audience. Um <laughs> but sometimes <laughs> when it's not the feedback that you want, you have to don't respond right away. Take a moment, you know, have an ice cream Sunday, do what you need to do. Um but then really like listen and kind of break it down and, and hear what the feedback really is because it's only going to benefit you.
1: Yes. Absolutely. I, yeah, I I love that. I I didn't think I was going to be talking about Brené Brown so much, but she, uh, she's always had, always talking about that Theodore Roosevelt quote about, you know, the, the, the praise goes to not the critic on the side, but the person that's in the arena taking the punches. And I think that in order to really improve what you're doing, I think you not only have to be willing to listen to your audience. I think you got to be, uh, Vulnerable enough to put yourself in situations where you're getting that feedback. You know, I think one yeah. of the things that is one of the most brutal uh, but powerful experiences for me was going. I used to do craft shows, and there's almost nothing more brutal than someone just like you. They almost sometimes audibly would be like, eh. oh, god." <laughs> when they walk past your table, and I just think there's something about. I feel like getting face to face, uh, my friend in the other room, he's, he's an audio engineer named Chris Graham. He, uh, he talk he has eyebrows. He's like, when you're face to face with somebody, you can pick up all these, uh, visual cues of man, that really resonated. Um, and uh, you know, for me getting in front of people, standing behind my work, there was so much stuff that I realized, Oh, there's a bunch of crap that I've convinced myself of, you know, working on this in my basement. That's just a bunch of crap. But when I stand here and I'm in front of them, I can tell which things matter to me and what things really make sense and matter to my audience. And I think it's uh, pretty crucial to getting where you want to go.
0: It is. And it, it is like the talk about vulnerable, like putting yourself out like that is, um, ooh, it is a lot.
1: It is. It's tough. It's tough. And you got to protect yourself. You got to make sure, you, you know. You take breaks and you, and you, I think another thing that, uh, Seth Godin talks about is, you know, make sure you're evaluating the feedback based, make sure you don't take all feedback as equal. It's not all created equal. So, you know, some people's opinions that matter, the people that you're trying to make work for, um, that they matter, but there's a bunch of people that it's just not for them or, you know, their feedback is really about them and not about you. Mm -hmm. Um, That is
0: such a huge point because you don't want to, yeah, it's. I mean it's a tricky business. It takes a while to get good enough to again, especially with Instagram, like you're going to get the gamut. So you cannot oh, listen to the entire gamut. No. Um but I think sometimes when um a lot of um, you know, those professional full-time who also work at bars, artists um have yeah. said to me, you know, when they kind of when they get some, you know, a negative bit of feedback or something that they're uh, surprised by, um if they feel that kind of, ooh, in their chest about it, they kind of know it's true. Like they, they know yeah. that there's a bit of truth <laughs> to it. And like yeah. those, even if it's hard to hear, if you kind of are like, ooh, yeah, I, you know what? Good call on that one. Um, instead of being defensive, those are the ones that you have to go, okay, I that's actually something I need to address. Yes. Um. Well,
1: yeah, it, it almost only hurts when there's some truth to it. Yes. right? And uh, those are the ones that we want to distance ourselves from the most. Uh, Debbie Millman has a really good story about this, where she talks about um, the pivotal moment of her career is where this massive blog that was kind of controversial for their hot takes did like a takedown on her work. Like this is a, maybe like 10 years ago, something like that. Um, and just kind of tore it to shreds. Everything that she'd done up to that point and she actually goes on record to be like, and everything they said was right. And it changed me in that moment. And I changed the way I approached design and I changed the way the clients I took on. And I, and it really was the thing that made her who she is today. The reason everybody knows her and the work that she does. Wow. Um, and so it and it came from a nasty, uh, blog post that could have been considered trolling. Um, and it's, uh, you know, that obviously I feel like there's so much nuance needed for this conversation because yeah. there are a bunch of bastards out there that are just out there or trying to hurt people that aren't doing anything helpful. But, um, but I do think, well, you know, another thing that's helped me is just getting out of non, this kind of binary black and white thinking about everything. And so yeah. it's not, you should always listen to your audience or you should never listen to your audience. It's a, oh, it's a sometime, you know, sometimes it's, uh, the season to only listen to yourself. Sometimes it's a season where you need to really tune in. Um, and I think that the getting outside of that, uh, binary thinking has helped me even in terms of how I take in feedback, because a lot of times I'll get every once in a while, I'll get a comment from somebody on Instagram from someone I respect that just is like, I've some word I've used has triggered them where they're like, no, it's not that blah, blah, blah. And they go on this giant thing. And my, initially you want to go you g- get your amygdala all fired up and you're in you know fight or flight mode you're like oh my gosh like one of my creative heroes is tearing me down right now like i need to go to town ta- i need to like defend myself and what i've learned to do is get out of that non-binary thinking and say read everything they're saying are they really disagreeing with you or do they just did they just not like a word that you used are they right. really are that or are they right or is it a a both and like you know yeah uh, yeah, so I, I think that getting into the nuance of all of that is, is where the power and wisdom is.
0: I totally think so, too, because as we're talking, it's like, well, you can't like, yeah, nuance is the exact right thing. And, and being flexible enough and, and um, calm enough in those moments to, you know, take it down a notch. I, I actually just said something the other day about on an Instagram post, I made a joke about PTSD left over from art school. And, uh, somebody sent me a DM and said, you know, I actually have PTSD and I feel like when you say it, like, you know, when you're throwing it out in a comical way, it's kind of not very respectful to people who are going through some major crap. Right. And again, you know, I wanted to write back and be like, I was joking, but then I was like, okay, but I totally like when I you know, calm down and didn't do black or white, I was like, you know what, she's exactly right. So I went and changed the wording and, um, and wrote her back and said, you know what, you're exactly right. And I'm sorry for, you know, anything that you've been through and, um, I've changed the wording and she just wrote back and said, thank you so much for hearing me. And yeah. And so, you know, there there are some people that are just trolls and they just say terrible things and I just delete their comments and that's fine yeah, too. Um, totally. but yeah, I think it's just, um, not letting feedback stop you and not ignoring feedback completely. Like I think we're talking about this weird, like dance in between.
1: Yeah. It's a discernment that you have to do. Uh, and it's tough and it's in the trenches, but I think that's one of the things that as we go through busting these myths, I think there's going to be a trend of, uh, the myth, could the opposite of the myth could also be a myth. So it's this idea that, uh, you know, the myth to me about, you should never listen to your audience. It, the myth in that is never right. another myth would be, you should only listen to your audience. Like yeah, the, the myth is only, myths, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. and I think, yeah, discerning in between there is where the good stuff is.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Who two myths down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do you want to yes, stop do you want right. to stop there <laughs> like i think we have
0: like yeah, five I, million to go i
1: feel like that felt like a good place i, I feel like so uh we have another we have that other one in the in the wings for next time and we'll come up with a few more yeah and you um, know what i was
0: gonna say too hopefully. is for everybody listening like if there's myths that are stopping you in your tracks, send them in and then the next time andy's on um, we'll address those yes. because um, you know, you guys are living this every day, as are we. And but we want to hear the the things that maybe we can turn into a discussion and debunk.
1: I I love it. And I was just going to say that you're going to have to, you know, put the reins on me a little bit because I'm used to being the host. I was instantly going to be, I was going to go to, and, uh, and listeners out there, you go ahead and send in (laughs) in your mess. This is my damn show
0: pizza back off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, uh,
1: but, but I love it. I love this topic because, I do think it's all about nuance. And I think there's not really a better format in this day and age to talk about things in nuanced ways than a podcast because it's long form. We can really go on every angle of it. We don't have to make these definitive black and white statements. And uh, I think this is going to be fantastic.
0: I know, me too. And, you know, I think, um, like with a lot of things I talk about with blocks and inner critics and all of that stuff, Um, it's talked about a lot more now, but when I was in art school and like even the 20 years after it was not talked about. And Mm. so I thought I was the only one that heard that voice that told me I sucked. And I thought that a creative block meant that you were just supposed to quit because you weren't good enough. And so I love that this stuff is all just becoming a conversation that people can be part of and that we, you know, we're debunking these things every single day, the more people talk about it. And all that's going to do is take the weight off people's shoulders and free them yeah. up to find that joy that you were talking about. Like, that's what it's all about. And we get ourselves all worked up. And, you know, if we could just go back to being kids when we just made stuff, cause it was fun, God, it would be so much better and easier. Yes. And I think by actually addressing these things and talking about them and joking about them and, and getting serious about them, that's how people are going to work their way through.
1: Love it. And I, I could not say it better myself. I absolutely,
0: I know because totally this is my it. show. That's all right. You're just gonna yeah,
1: you're gonna have to keep reminding me of that.
0: (laughs) We'll have to see who gets the last word. Like we'll be like, okay, bye bye. No, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, signing off. Signing off.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, thanks for having me, Danielle.
0: Yeah, that was so much fun. And we'll have you back in a couple of months and we'll um we'll keep the myth busting going. Yes. All right. Okay, thanks, Andy. I'll talk to you soon. See ya. Bye. See, I got the last word. Yeah, when it's your show, you get the last word. Although he did sneak that laugh in there. Does that count? Ah, I love talking to Andy, last word or not. He is so fun and super duper smart, which is a fabulous combination. So keeping in the spirit of today's episode, for the project today, let's do something a kid would do. Step one, go outside and find a rock. Do you see where this is going? Yeah, it's pet rock time, people. Paint your rock, or rocks, because I bet you're going to have a hard time only making one. Do whatever you want. Stick some googly eyes on there, whatever floats your boat. Now, you have a decision to make. You can either keep your new little friend, or you can take him back outside and leave him somewhere public for a stranger to find, creating your very own moment of joy hidden in plain sight for someone else to experience. I've done this before, and it is so much fun. Keep an eye on it over the next week or so to see if it's been scooped up. The whole point of this is, you guessed it, pure creative joy. If you want to share your little friend before you set him free, post a photo on Instagram and hashtag it A-F-Y-E Projects. That's art for your ear projects. A-F-Y-E projects. To see all of the work and to get the links that Andy and I talked about, just pop over to my site, thejealouscurator.com, to see the full post. Thank you so much to Andy for busting these first two myths with me. There are many, many, many more to come. Thanks to Thrive's Mastermind Group for supporting this episode. And of course, thank you for listening. There will be more art for your ear next weekend. See you then.